0: On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss the forcible diversion of Orion air flight from Athens to Vilnius to Minsk, Belarus, and the ensuing international response. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, here as always with... Jason Rubinowitz. Hello, Ian, and we have a special
1: guest today, live on location from beautiful and very hot Tampa. It's
0: Seth Miller. Say hello, Seth. Hello, Seth. Uh, Welcome, Seth Miller. Seth is an aerospace journalist extraordinaire and writes now for uh, his very own PAXX.Aero. And He is joining the program today because Jason and Seth are on the One of the first, the first Breeze Airways, the very first, the very first Breeze Airways flight.
2: Yes.
1: Like MX-1. MX-1 on an airline that only started selling tickets like four hours ago or something.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Selling tickets a week before you launch service is probably not a great recipe for strong revenue in that first week of operations, especially – when it's, you know, a holiday weekend
1: yeah, that uh, people had
2: already had plans for.
1: I'm sure a lot of people already have flights booked. They already have plans. It's also still in the middle of a pandemic where some people don't want to fly. But it's a recipe for an interesting launch of flights. The first flight we're, we're taking launches tomorrow morning, Tampa to Charleston. And then we are connecting on uh, a route I'll probably never fly again in my life, Charleston to Bradley, Connecticut.
2: I don't, it's Springfield, Massachusetts, Hartford, Connecticut. Bradley's the name of the airport.
1: Right. Do you you want to get the whole catch basin <laughs> of, of area there? But that flight does not appear to be very full. I, I don't imagine there are many Charleston to Bradley passengers who need a last minute forty nine dollar ticket. But we'll we'll be two of them, and it'll be fun.
0: Is is anyone else concerned that their IATA code is the abbreviation for maintenance?
2: I, that's. Sort of the joke I was going to make is it? So, I'm it's sorry, also Mexicana. <laughs> nah, it's okay. It's also and it's it's the history is Mexicana had it before, which had a that ended well, pretty awful, end plenty of years ago now.
1: Um, but is it actually official yet? Because I haven't seen MX in IATA's... I,
0: yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen it either.
1: Or nor have I seen them publish an actual schedule anywhere. OIG doesn't have anything, and that's usually where you find. That. Are you sure you're on a plane tomorrow? I mean, I've seen the planes out the window. From the hotel, so sure know the exist. they exist, but are you and sure has, that there's an actual he has a
2: reservation? But can't check in, so you know it's debatable.
1: Yeah, okay. If all does not go to plan, I will book a JetBlue flight home on another David Nealman airline, and it will all
0: be fine. So that's a perfect segue. Speaking of things not going to plan, what a segue! I know. So really, the only we have a couple of things we'll talk about at the very end of the show. That if you're interested in aviation. You should be aware of. But really, the only thing that we have to to really dig into this week is whatever you want to call what happened over the weekend in Belarus. Nothing good. A very, very short summary, and then we'll kind of unpack various parts of this. A Ryanair flight from Athens to Vilnius was flying over Belarus – and was forcibly diverted by the the Belarusian government to land in Minsk whereupon a activist journalist person not in good graces with the the Belarus government was forcibly removed from the flight along with his girlfriend and it seems that a few other russian nationals disembarked at the same time of their own volition it seems. The aircraft was on the ground for about seven hours and then eventually continued on to, to Vilnius. And Holy wow, is this terrible. Yeah. It sets an extremely
1: dangerous precedent that really I, I can't think of any time this has happened before seeing as I just set a new precedent that if a country anywhere in the world knows that a dissident or, or someone disagreeing with them is merely flying through their airspace from A to B and happens to go over C, that country can basically divert that aircraft to land at that country and, and … so
2: There are a, uh, unprecedented, but there may be some precedents.
1: Okay. Like, give us some there background knowledge. There
2: was an incident over Iran. If I remember correctly from – I believe it was an Emirates flight that was diverted under similar circumstances. There was – Now, I'm forgetting the, the country, but it was actually a private jet where they thought Snowden was on board. So that, this this an was in decision.
1: Austria. Yeah. Th- this yeah, was in
0: Austria, not Austria in the airline.
1: Yeah. This has happened before with private jets, but not – Possibly not commercial airliners with yeah. hundreds of passengers. on. Fair
2: board. point. Uh, the other one – But – The ICAO rules and sort of treaties cover both of those the same way. So there are some subtle differences, but I don't want to say it's completely unheard of. The other thing, uh, example I'll put out there uh, is actually uh, a U.S. related incident where the U.S. always gets, requires that all airlines file flight manifest of all the passengers on board so it can be checked into their no-fly list. And if there's a no-fly list passenger on board, the U.S. won't permit transit of U.S. airspace. So it's not quite the same. But there was an incident, apparently, I think it was a flight from France to Mexico City that was going to cross the U.S. airspace. And I don't know if they got the manifest late or something else, but the plane ended up having to divert, I believe, to Montreal, at which point Canadian authorities drove the passenger in question to the U.S. border and sort of kicked him past the fence line and walked away. He was then deported from the United States. He was on a residence visa. But then was like deported from the United states it was there was a bit of a mess there too, so that again, not diverted over u s airspace that one's much more adjacent than the same thing, but it's there are some interesting other sorts of similars out there, including from countries that are strongly denouncing this is, is, yes which is
1: awkward yeah that that u s situation sounds very sticky and weird, but this one in particular where you have someone who is speaking out against a government, in this case, Belarus. and They have basically hijacked the aircraft with, with close to 200 people on board to get this person within their jurisdiction to arrest them and do whatever terrible things a country with that kind of leadership might do to this person. It just sets a really bad precedent and now will, in any case where there's someone who speaks out against the government is that person going to have to make sure that any commercial flight they're ever on in the future does not fly over a country they've spoken against or possibly an ally of a country they've spoken against? It's, a, it's just bad.
0: All well, and, and there's certainly precedents for that. Yes. I, I mean, w- with personal car- – and the the checking to make sure it's not – the flight's not going to go over the Soviet Union. So, this isn't as new th- – the idea of something like this happening isn't as new as, as kind of the initial reaction by everyone made it seem. But my kind of real issue here isn't the the newness or anything like that, but the the forcible diversion to – the way it was carried out, this was not a, a flight that was to or from a, an airport in Belarus. The ham-fisted bomb threat that was emailed after the fact, uh, how that Apparently all played, played out. Hamas?
2: I, <laughs> I don't think we can say that Hamas did something ham-fisted, guys. <laughs> pork isn't halal.
0: Yeah, well. I mean, but it's just the way that this was done to get the aircraft, especially when it was so close to landing in Vilnius.
2: Yeah. I mean, you posted the date. I think it was like 70 kilometers from Vilnius, 180 from – 72
0: kilometers from Vilnius, 185. Yeah, hundred and eighty-three from from Minsk, as you know, as a straight shot. But then the flight, because it had was at thirty-nine thousand, they were maintaining thirty-nine thousand feet as they Ryanair pilots were trying to figure out what these guys were talking about when they said they had to land in Minsk. Then they flew three hundred kilometers, so seventy-two versus three hundred. I'm not a great math person, but I'm pretty sure one of those is bigger than the other.
2: So reading the transcript and there's one interesting part that there's a portion of the transcript was released by, I believe, the Belarusian authorities. So A, take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) Uh, B there's no time stamps. So we don't know how much time has elapsed between the various bits, but if you read it, there's a bunch there's a couple statements by the controller saying there we've been informed that there's a bomb on board that will detonate at Vilnius. They were making it. They were trying to make it clear that even though Vilnius was closer, that was a bad place to divert to. And I don't know if Riga would have been closer. I you know, have to do the math on that or whatever. But they were. It's a weird sort of challenge of sort of cooperating with what is assumed to be people who are observing and you know doing everything right under ICAO rules and the Chicago Convention and the Fallen Montreal Convention, but you know if they're not you're still like the pilots were in a bu- in a pickle like if the pilots choose to ignore aircraft air traffic control in that situation when told it's a code red uh, that's not good news for the pilots
1: no and, and apparently they the pilots questioned the instructions being given to them by the air traffic control multiple times yeah. to clarify the situation because the situation that was being relayed to them didn't make a whole lot of sense
2: the reason i question the timing of all those conversations is i really wonder If the pilots were able to either via their sort of text messaging or sat phone call, get in touch with dispatch at wherever Ryanair's dispatch headquartered from and be like, hey, have you heard anything? What's going on? We're about to have to do this stupid thing.
1: I think I read at some point that Belarus said they tried to contact Ryanair's op center in Lithuania, but couldn't get anyone on the phone, which I mean – Plausible. It's Ryanair.
2: You got to pay the pay the surcharge for I, that. I
1: guess someone needs to be paid <laughs> to answer the phone. But on on the other hand, I don't think anyone has actually confirmed that that was a thing that that and, actually well, how, happened. How, like, how, how can confirm you? that no
2: one right that the phone never rang right? But yeah, th- there's a lot of strange about that. The other part of this that's super interesting to me is uh, Lawfare blog had a aviation law expert write up you know first impressions of this because it's a you know it's an international treaty violation. If we assume that that's accurate. The process of making the, like of resolving it is basically the aircraft was registered in Poland. So the Polish government has to bring the claim against the Belarusian government. And then to be made whole, all that they're allowed to claim is that like everybody on board has to just make it to their ultimate destination. So all that can happen is that Poland, if they file this request and and it goes through the courts and whatever, and, and, and. There's no financial anything. There's the best they can hope for is that the guy and his girlfriend eventually get released and are delivered to Lithuania to Vilnius.
0: Yeah, and do do they have to send the three Russians (laughs) to
2: the three supposed KGB agents on board?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, do they have to go too?
2: Yeah, that's a fair question. Like, I guess it's optional to be made whole. I don't know. The whole thing is, and this also assumes that like the guy's still alive.
1: Yeah, that's a bleak Which, thought.
2: Yeah. The Belarusian government has shown itself lately to not be too worried about that sort of
1: thing. Yeah. So where we stand right now is there has been a a very quick, swift and loud international outcry about this behavior and very quickly many member states of the EU have forbidden flights between or over even uh, Belarus. So right now yeah. I think Air France, British Airways, a number of other airlines are going around Belarus which is complicated by the fact that airlines are already going around Ukraine. So that's another large
0: chunk of eastern Europe that flights can't operate over or through. That's less of a concern really. I I mean I I ran some numbers and we're talking the a few of the flights added about 10 minutes.
2: That's why, like Singapore to London was about 15 minutes on average.
0: Yeah. I mean, so it, it's it's um, British registered aircraft. So we're looking at uh, British Airways and and Virgin. Lufthansa group aircraft, it's kind of lumping things together. So we're talking about like Lufthansa, Swiss. I'm not sure any of the other group members are currently flying routes that would take them over that way. Air France is going around. Singapore Airlines is going around, Korean Air has started going around, So, and a few others. Still, as of today, we're recording on the 26th of May, still going straight through are all of the U.S. and other cargo airlines. So that seems to not be something that is concerning them in the slightest.
2: Well, you know, I guess the pilots think that they haven't caused any trouble and that any boxes on board won't complain if they're detained and blown up. (laughs)
0: The reaction has come, you know, kind of – So, although I want to back up and just for a second talk about the reaction by Ryanair.
2: Yeah, the initial statement?
0: Not good. The initial statement was, was, I want to say, almost apologetic, not even to the passengers or anyone, but just to Belarus. Uh, It was apologetic in that,
1: like, sorry this happened and that our flight is late.
2: Yeah, we're very sorry that the flight was delayed. Passengers were able to reboard and finish the trip, like neglecting to mention that not all of them were.
1: Except for the fact that, you know, the flight was hijacked and, and a couple of their passengers were forcibly removed at gunpoint and may never be seen again.
2: Yeah. That's, the, the other thing is, you know, you mentioned about sort of the swift and significant response. The UK closed its airspace and blocked all Belarusian flagged airlines, which is mostly Bolavia, uh, however we pronouncing that. But that happened pretty quickly. Other countries were a little slower in acting, but the on was it Monday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon, the EU EASA, the European Aviation Safety Association, administration, something like European that. European Union
0: oh. Aviation Safety Agency.
2: There you go. Rolls off the top. Uh, you got it. The EASA issued guidance saying, we recommend that member states strongly consider telling airlines not to fly over, but also included the line basically saying, this is not a significant enough safety risk that we are outright banning flights, banning overflights. And that's as opposed to, you know, war zone areas where they think there's a significant risk of a missile accidentally hitting a plane or something, and they do say, this is a safety risk. We are issuing guidance as a organization that says don't go there anymore. So it was you guys really shouldn't do this, but we're not gonna go far enough to actually say don't do it.
1: Right. And then later in the week, the day we're recording today, Wednesday a Belavia flight between, I believe it was Minsk and
0: Spain. Barcelona, Barcelona, Barcelona yes.
1: somewhere in Spain, Barcelona, didn't even make it that far because they were advised that uh, the French ATC would not let them in their airspace. So they were in a holding pattern for quite a while, and then then and, and ended up returning to their point of origin. Yeah,
2: Which that also t- seems like the sort of thing in my experience, like. You file a flight plan, and it involves like telling the people that you're going to be overflying, that you're going to be overflying them?
1: Maybe they'll change their mind by the time they get to the border.
0: Yeah. So so as it stands now, France is not allowing Belarusian carriers uh, – so really, we're talking about Belavia – to use its air, airspace for overflights. They don't have any flights to France. Um, so they, they can't use their airspace for overflights, and they can't use it for a technical stop. So you can't land and get gas or repair your plane or something like that. So they're avoiding that. Poland is in effect in in the evening of the 26th local time. So – or sorry, midnight local time, 2200 UTC on the 26th in Poland. Belavia will lose access to Polish airspace. At roughly the same time, they will lose access to Lithuanian airspace. So really, they're Pretty much cut off from their destinations in Western Europe at this point,
2: yeah, yeah, but you know flights to Russia and the Ukraine are still cool
0: right, right, those are and China don't forget china uh Do you know that far no no, no, but <laughs> so countries that Bolavia does fly to that have kind of uh you know uh, a significant impact. Ukraine, they can still fly to, but Ukrainian airlines cannot fly to Belarus. So that's is an that interesting because dynamic. Because
2: of EU rulings are just no. That's that's a that's
0: a, that's a Ukraine notum uh, that says okay. airlines from Ukraine cannot fly to Belarus. There is no corresponding yeah, they, notum that says you you can't fly otherwise. The EU blacklist wouldn't apply to Belarusian airspace, would it? No, no. So we've got so the the really big ones are uh Turkey, Russia and Egypt and Armenia. Looking at you know airlines or countries with more than 5 flights within a, the span of a few days as far as Bellavi is concerned. So Lithuania being the big one that they'll completely lose access to Poland as well. So it, there's a few other ones uh Sweden has said they haven't issued a notum but the the I guess Air Traffic Trade Commission passenger. I'm, I'm exactly unex- not exactly sure ex- what their role in. I guess it's like the Swedish FAA, but not the transport or air navigation service provider version, but the kind of regulatory body version has said no, Avia, So so they're out. At some point, we're all expecting, and probably by the time this podcast comes out and, and you're all listening to it, the EU will have said. Something. I would hope so, because the the European Commission said that the the Commission of Europe, and because those are actually two different things, that's a whole other podcast that maybe we all need to listen to to figure that one out. They need to act, and so that IASA can act and issue either an airway directive or or something that says these. Aircraft are allowed to fly over; these aircraft are not, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But it'll it'll be interesting to see how these things develop and how long this goes on. I, I think is really the really the question. And no one knows how this goes, how long this goes on, and does it devolve further, which is certainly an open question given all of the parties involved. Yeah, we'll see. We will see, indeed. I think we can leave it there at this point mostly because things are, are are still happening i will say that the fall off in overflights is going to be an interesting as far as uh, money goes i reached out to to some folks that i know kind of work with these numbers and the figure that i was quoted was about $750 to fly a 747 over belarus
2: Wow. Well, that's more than I would have thought. Yeah, I well I had heard similar numbers to that I actually went digging for some of those numbers as well and couldn't find them published anywhere. Um so it was like it's like 50 bucks just to enter the airspace and then more if you want to land, but the sort of weight time, a weight time size of the you know, max landing weight times distance flown or something like that it factors into it. I could never find the rate for that.
0: So Yeah, but I had a a quick chat with somebody who who pays these it. bills. <laughs> And, and they said it was Excellent. about $750 to, to overfly Belarus with a 747. So obviously that's kind of the, the, the high end of the overflight charges you're going to see. But a lot of the, the U.S. aircraft that are overflying Belarus are 747s or heavy 777s carrying, carrying cargo. So the, over the past, the previous week, it was about an average of 375 overflights. We're down to two hundred and twenty five yesterday as airlines are avoiding that, so I mean not the most important consideration and certainly not even a really important consideration, but just one that I find interesting is kind of those unintended consequences that's a hundred grand a day of things yeah roughly. i mean it's it, it's it's not nothing but but certainly not
2: a million dollars here, a million dollars there pretty soon it adds up to real money, man yeah, yeah. Wow.
0: yeah. So, we'll obviously keep an eye on this, and we'll talk about it uh next week i Jason, I guess we picked a good week uh to you know start doing a, a weekly show. yeah, things happen things happened oh boy, maybe, maybe i wait, did we cause the no no, no, things no. happen after we I would say
2: whatever happens in an hour and a half will be your fault, not the things that happened prior
0: yeah that that's what we'll need to be worried about. Okay, let's take a quick break, refill our drinks, and come back and run through some of the other stuff that has happened already this week. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is now time for us to quickly run through what else has happened in the week. And Jason, you wanted me to mention what happened with Arion. I wanted to go the punny route, but in the pre-show conversation, it sounded like you weren't. You weren't. No, uh, no,
1: go. I'll, with that. I'll, I'll
0: let you do it. You're gonna, I'll let, you you gonna it. let me do it. Right. You can
1: have it. Do it. Arion went boom. And that only makes any sense if you know that boom is it's the name. It's also
2: supersonic uh, aircraft exactly. so, like that, it, so There's all sorts of stuff that there That pun takes this. some explanation. Yeah.
0: It, so, it wasn't a good one is, is what you're saying and, and I should have wanted Also, away. to be
2: fair, like the plane didn't actually blow up. They just decided that they had no more money and stopped working.
1: Yeah. So, in a previous episode, I had said we're living in the golden age of VTOL aircraft renderings. We're also living in the golden age of supersonic aircraft renderings.
2: And hype stories. And
1: hype stories. And did you know that you'll be able to fly anywhere in the world for $100 in a supersonic aircraft? in Less dis- than four hours. In less than four hours. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely a piece Not of information grounded in fact. And hey, Tampa swing the runways around the other way. That's
2: yeah, interesting. Yeah, we're taking off the other direction all
1: of a sudden. We're distracted by airplanes.
0: It happens. The, I would expect nothing less given, you know, yes, who we are.
1: But this Arion story has an interesting twist because one of their major financial backers was actually Boeing. Boeing is not the. We
2: still don't know how much
1: money that we, it was. Though, we don't, right? but it was substantial. "Quote unquote uh, substantial." It was a, it read. was substantial enough that when Boeing pulled the sugar daddy money, the entire company folded. Yes. So whatever stake Boeing had in on, it was substantial enough to be a death blow to the company. When Boeing said, "Our priorities are shifting. We have enough fires to put out elsewhere. Yeah. Good luck, bro." And yeah. that, that was it. Th-
2: there was also an interesting comment I saw that. Arion was trying to sort of be called the general contractor or lead on a lot of this, and like here's the concept, and then outsourcing production, right? So they had a deal with uh, Spirit AeroSystems, who makes Boeing 737 fuselages among other components. They had sort of relationships. They had some. They actually had made some progress on an engine that was going to probably work, um, which is one of the things that Boom doesn't have details on really yet. Right, so they they had made progress in a lot of areas. they have also been at it for I want to say since oh, 2004. a long time, a yeah. long time. It was yeah you know, slow, steady burn, but they were they were actually making progress, and by a lot of measures, seemed to be one of the more plausible stories of maybe this will actually work. But then you know it it all completely crumbled, as Jason said. You know the the money walked away, and they couldn't find anyone else to backfill that funding. Like at one point. They had to take a partnership with Lockheed Martin, and then that was replaced with Airbus, and then that was replaced with Boeing. So they've they've sort of gone you know, around the table, as it were, danced with all the partners, and none of them wanted to stick around.
1: Which is interesting to me because they had partnerships or, or, or deals in place with the largest aerospace companies in the world, and even that wasn't enough to push yeah. it over the finish line.
2: And I, the other part that's somewhat worrisome to me is, you know, Jason made the joke about the four-hour, $100 ticket. That's actually from Boom Supersonic CEO. Uh, he did that in an interview, I think, with CNN, and it's gotten a lot of airtime. And it. he's acknowledged that it's not this generation of planes. it will be two or three generations later of supersonic, which is all I sorts s- of wishful thinking. But a week before Aerion folded, it announced its next generation plane, which was a 50-seater that would compete with Boom, among others, for sort of commercial service, not the private business jet that the AS2 initial model was going to be.
1: Now, how much of that was – a desperate attempt to put something out to raise funding, while they didn't probably almost, have anything.
2: Almost certainly, all of it, except the rendering. They got they got an art guy to the, put the
1: golden age together. of aircraft rendering. So that so makes really me wonder. What we're,
0: what we're saying here is that the the supersonic, the push into supersonic flight, or push back into supersonic flight, mm-hmm. and the eVTOL push is really just a secret plot by the aerospace industry to prop up the graphic design industry.
1: I would say the supersonic industry yeah. more so than the EV eVTOL, which is seems way more plausible
2: yeah. at this point. That, just to finish that last thought, though, I, what worries me about the Boom interview and talking about with uh, Blake out there talking about this four-hour, $100 thing is it's so fantastical that I wonder if this is not also a play to suddenly find more cash because – you know they've raised, I want to say, between two hundred fifty and three hundred million dollars so far, which is a lot of money. But they've also built a model plane. They have built the X XB one, the scale model, the scale yeah. model, and it's they've had a rollout that wasn't really a rollout, but they're 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 getting ready towards wanting to fly it. That building an airplane like that takes a lot of money, and there's also the other engineering going into Overture, which is the other plane for real, and like all those things. I have to wonder if just based on sort of such similar behaviors and storylines, if it makes me wonder. I don't know. I I don't want to you know bad mouth Boom or anything, but I I wonder what their financial situation really looks like just based on that.
1: Yeah, I I don't want it to sound like we're rooting against them because of course I want supersonic travel back into the mainstream. Even if I don't think it's going to become a reality, I want it to happen because who wouldn't want to do that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to have my chance to do a supersonic flight once. I don't think it is something A that is financially affordable long term, or B that is environmentally affordable either. So. It's I'm of mixed opinions, right? It's roughly yeah. four to six times the amount of fuel per seat mile to go supersonic versus uh, regular. So even if it's all sustainable fuels or whatever, it's still a terribly inefficient way to do it. Um, and I know you, you can you know take the argument that time is worth more, but not really,
1: not to me, not that
2: much. So anyway.
0: Let's talk. Went, boom. Let let's talk about a, a a good time gone bad. Then, Jason, tell me about the SpiceJet wedding.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. So, uh, uh, usually when we do this, I have a list in front of me, and I know where you're going. This time, you know, we're in a hotel room. You're so too distracted by planes. Yeah, I'm distracted by this beautiful MD11 out here. I didn't know where you were going, but yeah, India is going through a really, really horrendous situation with COVID19. It is spreading like it has spread nowhere before um, right now. It, it's hundreds of thousands of infections daily. So, obviously, they have clamped down quite tightly on restrictions and what you can do and where you can go. And most importantly, how many people can attend any one event. One couple in India getting married had a rather clever, but still just not cool, way of getting around that, which is basically. Ian, did you know there are no laws in the air? So You can just take 161 wedding guests, put them on a spice jet uh, flight, and have your wedding in the air where the authorities
2: can't get you. And and I have been told uh, that the flight path included traveling above the temple at the appropriate time to make sure that the wedding was properly blessed.
1: Well, that's something. We'll have to have Ian pull that data to make sure that's true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to need a flight path and Overlay of all the temples. Yeah, yeah.
1: Have fun with that one, but that's just—I
2: mean—hats
1: off to the ingenuity of, of of doing that, but not cool that that uh, SpiceJet well, would be and now a it's party a to real that. Real
2: question of like who's going to get in trouble, and I think thus far the only people that are in trouble so far are the crew somehow because
1: somebody's got to get in trouble with the airline right, for right, pulling so this off.
2: Someone more senior than that really has to get in trouble, like. I, like, what are you going to tell? Like, the crew got up there and was like, wait, what? There's a wedding going on? I don't know. But maybe they knew that in advance. Maybe they didn't. Like, it was a a flight from, you know, a flight to nowhere. So, it wasn't yeah. like, actually going somewhere. So, it made sense. So someone would have been asking questions like, why are we doing taking 160 people up just for sightseeing? But even on top of that, like, someone in management had to know this was happening. Someone at the sales office who signed the paperwork had to know this was happening. Like, right? there's a lot of other people that really should get in trouble, not not just the crew and maybe not even the crew but definitely other people need to have
0: yeah somebody took the money to pay for what happened yes
2: and probably knew what that would plan was not just a oh i just need a plane to be in the air for a couple hours really why would you want to do that like i mean i guess maybe they didn't ask that question like how big is your checkbook? Okay, thanks.
1: Yeah. Well, the airlines have all been telling us that uh, being in an airplane is the safest place in the world to be because of HEPA filters and air nozzles. And also because
2: you're wearing a mask and the pictures and videos from this wedding did not appear very masked. No.
1: So not not a
2: good look.
0: Nobody should be doing that. So before we go, Emirates has been the launch customer, not the launch customer. Could be the launch customer, might be the launch customer. Not going to be Emirates. Might be Emirates again. We're not sure. But this week they said, if the triple seven X doesn't meet the contractual improvements, Boeing, we ain't taking them.
1: Yeah, that's
0: completely legitimate.
1: Because if you're paying many, many millions of dollars for any anything, don't you want it to be delivered
2: per spec? But to spec, yeah. why would you have to say that out loud and do it at a trade show or whatever, and make make a statement like that? Because that he had was my that question.
1: Because right. he he had said that he had basically heard nothing from Boeing
2: recently. Sure. Listen, he's. I assume the comments from Sir Tim. Yes, he's clearly negotiating via the media. I get that. It's worrisome that he has, has to, to do or that. thinks he has to do that. Is Boeing? Screwing him around is he, you know is he just getting nothing like, and you know obviously this is going to make a whole bunch of media go ask Boeing. Boeing, why haven't you talking to your customers? What's the actual story? What's going to happen? And Boeing isn't going to answer those questions. No. Boeing, we respect our customers' requests and we look forward to delivering these aircraft as promised. Uh, blah blah blah. Right. i another half second. I'd write a decent press statement.
1: But what what's alarming here to me is that this is Sir Tim Clark. He is very wise, very smart. This is not Akbar Al Baker at Qatar,
2: who is also very smart about the airline
1: industry. But he's way more outspoken, yes. way more apt to completely let Airbus or Boeing have it verbally via the media. Yes. Sir Tim Clark, not the same, not,
2: but oh, through the Triple Seven X program has been.
1: Yes, so he's clearly maybe maybe it, well because it's, it's his way out. He's ready to retire. He doesn't give a crap at this point. But it, it's alarming to me that he has been this outspoken about the
2: aircraft it is definitely uncommon, a little unexpected.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me that it's kind of, what, over the past three, four months or so, he's become much, much more vocal.
2: Which makes me wonder. I mean, and the delays have become much worse in that same time. What little bits we have gotten from Boeing is like, oh, no, actually another two-year delay or whatever. Like, maybe. Right? And that was with Lufthansa – if they would ever take them, it's still going to be even later than planned. So there's a whole lot of questions out there in terms of what's really happening with the 777X and what that program is going to look like. Um, and maybe that's why Boeing bailed on supersonic. But
1: Right. Okay. We have time for, what, one, one last topic? And I think it's a, a, a sleeper of a doozy. I don't think people are, are paying as much attention to it as I think it is. And that is that the FAA has lowered – Mexico's safety rating from category one to category two.
2: Did I get that in the right direction? Does not meet very non specific IASA standards or ICAO standards for aircraft. For the it's not for safety, it's for the regulatory infrastructure to ensure safety,
1: right? So, this so is it's not saying
2: that the planes are unsafe, it's saying that we can't prove they are,
1: right? This is nothing against Aero Mexico or Valaris or I was gonna say Interjet, but rest in peace. It, it's like nothing Viva Air or something, I'm Viva Airbus. Uh, nothing against the airlines specifically, but they're basically saying the US FAA is basically saying the Mexican FAA's counterpart is not up to snuff and they do not trust that they have everything under control in, regarding safety within Mexico. And What that effectively means now that they are downgraded the category two is that flights between the US and Mexico as they are today will be able to continue operating. US airlines will be able to add new routes to Mexico, but Mexican airlines will not be able to add new routes to the US. And that is problematic because the US Mexico air corridor, I guess, right now is hugely popular because it's one of the few countries that Americans are actually allowed to fly to relatively hassle free for uh, vacation these days.
2: Yeah. And they can't increase service on existing routes, they can't add new routes from Mexico. And the U.S.-Mexico relationship, while it is relatively friendly, it's not true open skies. So, if the U- If a U.S. carrier wanted to add a new route, I would not be surprised that the Mexican government would drag its feet regulatorily. That's definitely not a word, and not let that close happen enough. until yeah, close, close <laughs> and, and not let that happen until the U.S. changes its mind and brings back you know and starts letting the Mexican airlines do this again too. It also affects code share operations, right? between Delta and Aeromexico, where Delta has to cannot can no longer have the Aeromexico code, it can no longer sell Aeromexico metal with a Delta code on it. So if it had previously issued, you know, someone flying to Cancun and then connecting to Mexico City or vice versa or something like that, it has to reissue those tickets with an Aeromexico flight number on it. Not a huge deal, but pain in the ass and potentially affects some of the revenue sharing that they have set up. I mean, who knows how that business is Structure, yeah,
1: but. and I, I think I read that this this happened in the past, not all that long ago, maybe the early two thousands for four months. Four months? Yeah, yeah, so hopefully it's cleared up rather quickly. But I'd love to get some details from the FAI on what examples of like what regulatory issues they have spotted yeah. in Mexico, which of course is not known as being the safest country in the world to operate flights. But there's nothing nothing stands out as like hugely problematic.
2: Yeah. It's – I and I'm not sure we'll ever get a, oh, these are the three checklist items that they missed kind of report. Right. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. So, I mean and, – and the FAA has said that they are working with their Mexican counterparts to ensure that et cetera, et cetera, everyone's where they're supposed to be and, and things like that. So, this doesn't sound like it's a an unsolvable problem. No. So hopefully everyone is back in time for, I don't know, what? Labor Day? Yeah. there you go so i mean the big story the huge story the ongoing story belarus i'm sure we'll have much more to say about this next week as things shake out but if you're listening to this podcast on friday who knows what has happened by then but we'll be back next week with even more thank you so much to everyone who has written in already to say that they're excited about the weekly shows that made jason and i feel very warm and fuzzy inside and thank you for that I would say a 99.9% positive response. A few people said, eh, all right. But uh, that's okay. If it's negative. You could you could just skip every other episode. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. But yes, thank thank you so much to everyone who who's written in. We also got a lot of good feedback about some of the other things that we talked about in previous episodes. We'll talk about those next week and kind of go through listener feedback in more detail because there was a lot of good stuff, especially about the dual frequency runways that we talked about in relation to the the Centennial Airport accident. Uh, so we'll, we'll bring that back next week. Don't think we've forgotten about that. But until next week, I am Ian Pechnik here as always with – Jason Rabinowitz, and here uh, sometimes – On
2: occasion with, with Seth On Miller.
0: occasion with, yes. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone listening to the podcast, if you haven't already, leave us a rating, a review, tell your friends about it. We would love to – expand the listenership especially now that we are a weekly podcast thanks everyone so much for listening and we will see you next week